1: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to the author of The Anger Gap, How Race Shapes Emotion in Politics. Uh, this book is published by Cambridge University Press. It'll be out right at the start of 2020. The author is Davin Phoenix, and I have him on the phone today. Davin, how are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Heath. How are you? Uh, I'm doing uh, great. Uh, it's uh, so fun to get a book as it's just about out into the world. Uh, I've been so excited to have this conversation and and uh, talk to you and learn a little bit more about you before we talk about the book itself. So would you share just, just a little bit about yourself? Sure thing. So I
0: am a military brat. My mom served just under 30 years in the Air Force. I'm also a first-generation college graduate. Got my bachelor's degree from Christopher Newport University in Virginia. Got my PhD, uh, joint PhD in public policy and political science from the University of Michigan. And since 2014, I've been in the political science department at the University of California, Irvine, teaching and researching around race and media and public opinion and uh, political participation.
1: Yeah, uh, the book is is so uh, comprehensive um, and chocked with so much uh, uh, really interesting findings um, but we want to sort of, uh, you know, kind of walk into those a little bit and place us in the, in the um, kind of in, in what motivated this book. And you, you describe it at, towards the start of the book this Saturday Night Live sketch from 2016 with Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle that, that sets up a lot, of, um, uh, a lot of what the book's about. So I, I wonder if you'd, you'd recount the punchline of this sketch and in some ways how it sets out the central puzzle of your book.
0: For sure. So this episode takes place uh, the weekend right after the election. And so the sketch is an election watch night party. Dave Chappelle and special guest Chris Rock are the black uh, attendees and the rest of the attendees at this party are white. And as I think was the case in election watch night parties throughout the country, they expect to see Hillary Clinton become the first uh, woman to be elected president. And as the election returns are steadily pouring in and Trump is accumulating more electoral college votes, there is a clear racial divergence in the reactions. The white party goers are becoming increasingly despondent and despaired and shocked. And the black uh, attendees maintain a pretty collective sense of cool and calm. Uh, at one point, kind of the final line is one of the uh, white attendees saying quite dramatically, oh, my God, I think America's racist. And for comedic effect, Dave Chappelle kind of feigns shock. Oh, my God, really? And then he says, uh, I think uh, my great grandfather said something about that. I don't know. He was a slave or something. And so I think that, that contrast is very reflective of a part of the argument I'm making in the anger gap. And African Americans are responding to many of these same kinds of events or political phenomena or threats that might cause shock and awe, bewilderment, or indignation amongst uh, white Americans, and looking at those things as par for the course rather than shocks to the system. And so there's some degree of performativeness that's on display there, but we can also think about Just how different these sets of groups, uh, views of the system are, just how different their sets of expectations that the system operates freely and fairly are. And if you have a very different set of expectations about the fairness of a system, you're going to have very different sets of emotional responses when that system either works against uh, your wishes or kind of works aligned with your lowered expectations.
1: So So as you just described the sketch is is only funny if, if you recognize that different groups of people experience and express emotions differently, and that those differences are not are not just random. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the the political and, and also the historical context of of the emotion of anger for African Americans um, This is a big big thing that many people have have talked about and written about but I wonder if you could just sort of capture a little bit of that as, as because it sets up so much of what you do in the book.
0: Sure. So I'll begin with thinking about how we conceptualize anger as an emotion state within the fields of social psychology, political psychology. Anger is really distinct from other negative emotions, sadness, anxiety, fear, frustration, because anger packs a punch. Right. When you're angered about something, you feel slighted, you feel a sense of injustice and you feel a great compulsion to right that wrong, to get justice. And so when you're in a state of anger, you are more confident in your actions. You are less risk averse and you are less likely to process new information, more likely to take action. And so I speak colloquially uh, with my students and say, I mean, how many of you show hands, have ever said or heard? I'm sorry. I should have done that. I was angry. Right? It's an emotion that breeds impulsivity. So it's really connect, uh, important to connect that sense of impulsivity with that sense of slight injustice. Uh, accounts, particularly appraisal theory, have identified the difference between feeling angry over a threat or anxiety over a threat. The degree to which you feel control over that can threat. If you have that sense of agency, you know. I know what this thing is that's impeding my progress, and I know what to do about it. You're more likely to respond with anger, right? Because that breeds that sense of confidence that allows you to enter into that emotion state. And so you have to think about those long run uh, sense of expectations. What do we know from the vast literature on black politics? Uh, African-Americans are generally less satisfied with politics. They're generally less trusting Of politics. And we're not talking about simply individual regimes or figures. We're talking about less trust in the system itself. That matters, right? We also think about ways in which we measure agency and ways in which I try to challenge those measurements. African-Americans, despite having those lower levels of trust, despite having lower satisfaction with the operations of politics, often do still express a great deal of agency. And so they're not necessarily Looking at the lack of responsiveness to black demands collectively as a product of their own inadequacies, they're looking at that disconnect between what they want and what they get as symptomatic of a faulty system. And so I argue that idea of viewing the system as just eternally faulty kind of takes away some of that indignation that could arise when any of these threats emerge because if you don't expect anything different, how can you really be angry? Frustrated? For sure. Dissatisfied? Yes. But not angry because your sense of expectation primed you to already expect this negative outcome or this threat to emerge in the first place. And so I argue instead of anger that's emerging, we see the sense of resignation. Well, what else would I expect from a system that I believe is largely irrevocably broken. I think that's what we see on display in that SNL sketch, right? Chappelle and Rock showing that sense of resignation. Yeah, this is an unfortunate outcome, uh, but it's not one that we wouldn't expect. And so we have mechanisms and means of processing this and navigating this, but those processes and those means don't necessarily entail us getting up in arms about this threat. And so, One thing that really struck me as I was looking to write the book in earnest was that I wasn't grappling with another cause of this anger gap, which is what are the potential costs or consequences to African-Americans of expressing their anger, at least in public spaces? We can think about the long-running stereotypes and stigmatizations of the angry Black man or the angry Black woman, especially thinking about the kind of intersection of race and gender and creating these bounds on who can or cannot express their anger. And so when we think about the history of anger with African-Americans, we have to think about the very prolonged story of uh, black movements and black individuals and collectives that are looking to challenge that system that they generally view as unresponsive to their interests being met with very strong pushback, whether that's increased surveillance from the state or increased policing or other forms of delegitimizing or punishing them for expressing that anger. So we think about the history of anger of the black within black uh, America. We're thinking about a very different calculation that many black individuals are making in comparison to their white counterparts about what's worth getting angry over and what are the potential consequences or blowbacks of showing that anger.
1: So you, you, you look at race and you look at gender. You also look at age. And, and there's so much in this book, we're not going to be even able to get to half of it. But I, I want to just sort of jump into this and, and let you kind of unpack some of the some of the findings and some of the assertions you make. And so in looking at age, you write uh, early on in the book, and I'll quote from you, younger black people may feel less burdened by the stigma of being labeled angry while black. Uh, there's a lot in that sentence. I wonder if you'd unpack that for us just a little bit.
0: Sure. So... I did attempt throughout the book to not simply look at race differences in the aggregate, but to try to disaggregate. And I focused just on three cross-cutting identities, gender, age, which I looked at as uh, under 30 or 30 and above. So very you know rough kind of age breakdown, and then education status, uh, attainment or not of a college degree. And so that point, that quote that you uh, raise speaks to my potential speculation before even diving into... The actual trends from the survey data and from uh, the experiments I was able to run thinking, okay, if anger is the emotion state, right, that breeds that confidence and impulsivity, uh, then perhaps it is more the domain of younger people who generally, uh, you know, have more of that impulsivity. Generally are not thinking in such concrete terms about the potential consequences of their expressions or actions, Uh, you know, with the appropriate caveats in place. And so I find that there's not necessarily a life cycle effect with this anger gap. In most instances in the data that goes back to 1980, I'm finding younger cohorts of African Americans exhibiting similar or same anger gap compared to younger whites as older cohorts, with the exception being when I look at the 2016 data. This particular uh, young black cohort does appear to not exhibit an anger gap and doesn't appear to have kind of a comparable or strong relationship between their anger and their tendency to take political action, specifically insurgent political actions. So we're talking protests, and maybe boycotting. And so rather than a life cycle effect, because I don't see that uh, kind of pattern for previous generations of young black people, I think of this as a potential age cohort effect. So I don't necessarily think that this cohort is reflecting, right, that kind of tendency towards impulsivity. I think there might be some other things going on that make this uh, spate or uh, generation of young Black folks distinct from prior generations. And so I try to speculate what that might be. Is there an effect of spending much of their lives uh, under a Black president? Does that shape, even if that substantive expectations of difference, Does it give them some kind of symbolic sense of greater incorporation or greater belonging within politics, which gives them that wherewithal to make greater demands on that system? Uh, I do find throughout the book in different spaces, a linkage between that anger gap and kind of adherence to black Christian ethos. And so with this current cohort of younger black people being less tethered to the church than previous black generations, is that working at play and also maybe mitigating that anger gap, because they're relying less on the kinds of cues from church and the kind of um, messaging of racial salvation, which makes the positive emotions potentially more impactful. And finally, what are the roles of uh, this new media landscape in shaping Black perceptions of uh, their relationship to the political system and, again, what they can and cannot express? So we can think about social media and the ways in which building these virtual communities can, in essence, create a new manifestation of the kind of black discursive spaces that we saw flourishing uh, in the reconstruction and post-reconstruction era? So are we seeing in black Twitter uh, a kind of resurgence of the kinds of black intellectual exchanges we had in black newspapers, right, in black indigenous institutions and spaces? But beyond social media, we can think about just technology itself. The ability of young black folks to counter mainstream narratives with recording on their iPhone, in what ways does that shape or reshape black people's young black people's relationship to authority, and in what degree does that kind of ability to challenge these narratives in real time maybe facilitate uh, the mobilizing effect of anger for this group that we don't necessarily see for other generations of African Americans?
1: Now there's this fascinating figure. Uh, it's either chapter two or chapter three, on race and partisanship and you compare respondents who you label as not angry and angry. So those are the two categories. And you then compare the likelihood of turning out to vote. I wonder if you could describe what what you found about the relationship between partisanship, race, and turnout here, and, and maybe briefly, what explains these fascinating differences?
0: Sure. So it was important for me to look at this anger gap with full kind of accounting for partisanship, particularly because the ANES survey data that I'm looking at in part is asking about objects of emotion that are partisan figures, right? Specifically presidential incumbent candidates. So it's not simply enough to look at racial differences. I need to look at whether black Democrats and white Democrats differ in their evaluations of these Republican presidents and candidates or their Democratic, uh, you know, home team presidents and candidates. And I did the same for the small number of Black Republicans and White Republicans. And so, interestingly enough, right, it's not about being less satisfied. Black Democrats are significantly more disapproving of Republican administrations than their White Democratic counterparts. And they're also significantly more negative about the state of the economy under those Republicans than their white partisan counterparts. But despite that, right, they're significantly less angry towards those Republican incumbents. And so that's one manifestation of the anger gap, right? Being more dissatisfied and yet less angry. And also, as you know, they're also less afraid, right? So it's not simply a matter of, well, they feel the threat, but it's manifesting as anxiety, right? It's more of an emotional mutedness. The other manifestation of the anger gap is in looking at the respective effects of that expressed anger on likelihood of turnout. And so I find that white Democrats are more likely to uh, vote if they expressed anger towards those Republicans. Meanwhile, black Democrats, there's essentially no effect whatsoever. The turnout likelihood amongst black Democrats that said they were angry is essentially the same as that of those that said they were not. So, I think there's a couple of things going on there. One is we could imagine some African Americans actually being angry and not saying they're angry, right? Because they know of that stigmatization of being angry while black. And so you've kind of got angry black folks on both ends, right? In both categories, which mitigates the effects. But I think the other thing that's perhaps most paramount, as I explore in later chapters, is that black folks, anger does not necessarily translate to the same types of corrective measures and actions. So if white people are generally more likely to be angry at individual actors or regimes within the system as opposed to the system itself, then the blueprint for eradicating those threats is more clear. I can get this actor out of office. Right? I can overturn this regime. I can block this policy. So that anger can more easily translate to conventional sets of actions. And that's what I find beyond turnout, uh, things like canvassing, right? And working with others to solve community problems. I see a direct through line between white people's expressions of anger and their willingness to take those actions. Conversely, if African-Americans anger, when I do see it expressed, is translated not towards those individual actors or policies or players, but towards the system itself, then the corrective is not as clear. So voting is not going to change the system necessarily, right? Canvassing not going to change the system. And so I see a much clearer through line between African Americans anger and those system challenging actions like protest and boycotting. So looking at those partisan differences in terms of effects of turnout, I think, is just scratching the surface of what we're looking at, with anger kind of operating very differently for these two sets because of the two different ways in which that anger is kind of translated and targeted.
1: Now, now, you just sort of alluded to one of the, the questions and one of the real fascinating parts of the book. You, you write with, with a bunch of caveats uh, that, that you don't have to go into because I think the, the meaning still holds up. You, you write that black Democrats were substantially more likely to express anger towards Republicans when interacting with a black interviewer that is, when the data was collected uh what What does this mean and and does this suggest that social science really has failed us on an incredibly important uh aspect of understanding African American politics?
0: I think potentially, yes, with all those caveats in place. <laughs> It's a small sample size alert, right? But the small subset of Black Democratic respondents across these years, 1980 through 2012, in the ANES that do have a Black interviewer, they are indeed much more likely to actually express anger towards that Republican candidate. And so I think we're seeing a glimpse of just how different African American expressions are within these quote unquote safer black discursive spaces. And so I think about um, the way in which that kind of finding maps on with something we can perhaps imagine. The ways in which black people discuss politics in exclusively or near exclusively black spaces, right? So we can think back to prior work on black engagement from Kathy Cohen's work to uh, Lindsay Harris Perry, right? In these salons and barbershops, right? In black churches. Uh, just in those kinds of communal spaces, you know, around the dinner table playing dominoes, something like that. How are political figures, how is political system being discussed and how are African-Americans expressing their frustration, expressing their indignation, perhaps even expressing rage towards uh, all of these systems and targets that they feel don't give them equitable treatment. But at the same time, within those black spaces, how are they not mobilizing necessarily on the basis of that anger, but how are they talking about other ideas such as perseverance and resilience and kind of pushing through and abiding, uh, abiding their time and kind of looking forward to you know, future in which their future generations don't have to deal with this. And so when we're considering black responses in our survey setting, or in an experiment, and I had to contend with this with my experiments and my efforts to collect original data. We have to be mindful of what, or the degree to which that response we're getting might signify something, I won't say beyond just kind of the actual quote-unquote or true uh, response, because one thing I try to contend with in the book is the idea of double consciousness, right? The idea that African Americans are navigating America with this kind of duality of experience, right, as Americans and as Black Americans. And so what we might see on these surveys are African Americans kind of tapping into that one side of their dualistic kind of navigation, right, as Americans. And if we think about who is offering the survey, who are they interacting with distinctly, we might actually tap into their perceptions of how they're navigating this world as Black Americans. And so, yeah, it's really difficult to think about how conventional measures allow us to tap into uh, the navigation of America as Black people. And so, you have to be really mindful of ways in which we can disrupt conventional measures, right, of asking questions or conventional methods and means. If you really want to have a true understanding of Black people as a subject and not just as a point of comparison, right, for explorations of white attitudes and why you
1: think in politics the uh, th- the book is the anger gap how race shapes emotion in politics the book is published by Cambridge University Press if you're in a pool trying to guess the best book of 2020 on on New Year's Day um, and you and you have the chance to put your money behind the anger gap uh, I would encourage you to do so because this is a great book and probably the, the first great book of 2020 davin Phoenix thank you so much for your time today
0: thank you so much for having me